Paul, do you ever have doubts about or disrobing? Never wanted to disrobe. <laughs> I, I, I tried to contemplate disrobing you know, as a possibility, but I never. Not because I wanted to disrobe, you know. Was there something better to do than this? Uh, so I tried to imagine all kind of possibilities of, uh, you know, suddenly I inherit a billion dollars or meet a wealthy heiress and <laughs> or to become, uh, you know, famous or become, have everything, you know, all the things, all the best you know, ideas of, of, you know, just fantasies. But even, even that, I, I really appreciate this life. You know, I think this, to me, this is the best you can get in a human being. <laughs> and, uh, because it, you know, you're, you know, like, like here, you can live in a society and you're you're uh, you're not rejecting society, and you're dependent on it. You need the society to support support of it, but you're not contributing to its foolishness or its corruption or its its dark side. And that that's a real you know that's the best you can do in in this human realm. Like like living in in England, you know, was, I felt I was living. You know, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't contributing. I wasn't reinforcing all the 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 dark side of that society. Uh, I didn't even, but I was there. And then then your, your monasteries open. People can come and hear dhamma and practice things like this. So you're 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 actually giving opportunities for people to benefit and all you're asking you know is necessary is like uh, one meal a day shelter for the night so the, the, you know we're not asking for you know big salaries and, and I remember Chichers years ago when he first moved there a woman English woman who was a nurse came to see me and she was very aggressive and she said do you expect to just sit here and, and we come and feed you and, uh, you know, what do you do for the society? You know, and she's going on like that, really rude. And, and so I said, well, you know, if I was an Anglican vicar, Christian priest, I, for what I do, I could demand, you know, like 30,000 pounds a year. <laughs> 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 well, I'm not asking for anything. <laughs> so all you have to do is just drop a, you know, you don't even have to do that. Drop a lump of rice in the bowl. <laughs> Karen? <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, I, I wanted to ask, kind of, in, in relation to that 
relationship between monks and society as when you wouldn't thought of in a more socially engaged Buddhism or socially engaged monks. Monks still get involved with you know, environmentalist actions or <clears throat> like human rights or other kind of more politically or socially mm, activist movements that you thought of, of monks who, who do that. I mean, those are very good, you know, they're usually involved in good causes. And, uh, but to me, you know, I, I, in England I had to figure out what, because I became such a popular figure there in the beginning that I became president of the Buddhist society and, you know, and there's people inviting me all over the place and, and giving meditation retreats and, and, and I kind of just spread myself out where I was hardly at the monastery. And, um, then I began to see that, you know, I just think, you know, what, what can I do that lay, lay Buddhists couldn't do? You know, what is my particular, how can I benefit this society? Let's say a, a lay teacher, a lay meditation teacher couldn't do. And I can establish a monastery. You know, and, and I can, I became Upachaya. And I, I could ordain monks and I could set up monastic discipline and Vinaya and, and, and training programs and, and that for people interested in that. And lay people can't do that. So then I, I began to, See that, and then there was a lot of this engaged thing going on, especially in the eighties, and when the uh, nuclear threats, you know, the, the and Britain was very much uh, there's a lot of paranoia there because the Americans were arming Britain with cruise missiles, and there was a lot of protests, anti-war movements, and all kinds of good causes, you know, that one felt sympathetic with, but uh, I, I decided just to, rather than get caught out in all these other things, I'd have to concentrate just on what I'm, what I know how to do. You know? <clears throat> there were plenty of other people doing the other things. So I, I, I started uh, stepping back from all these other engagements. And just, uh, you know, because I could, you know, I realized I was just out of good intentions, just being, doing too much and burning out. And then, then I could see, you know, thinking, well, these are good causes, I should support it. And because of kind of grand gestures that I have, you know, wanting to help and, Support worthy things, but then this is where your your reflective mind, you know, helps you to kind of observe what you know. This one physical being, you only have so much energy, and you know, you, and what, what is it that that I can do is train, teach uh, monks, and uh, and I establish this nuns order. Was trying to very interested in trying to provide uh, good facilities for women 
And so I, I, you know, I did a lot of things to try to bring the Dhamma to people. But uh, at the end of the day, I realized I became more kind of what a pole. <laughs> you know, just like this, this. This was enough. This is what I could offer, and 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 I, you know, because all my experiments with other things were were not going very well. So I became very conservative monk in England. <laughs> But, you know, like Ajahn Paisan, and, and uh, he's very active in the engagement here. He's, you know, I know him, and he's, I respect what he's doing. And he knows how to practice. You know, there's not, I have no judgment against it. I'm not, I have no opinion about it, really. But I, I don't particularly, I mean, I like, I like that of not being in, taking sides on politics and social issues, uh, political issues, because like like our position in the society is one of a, a moral pointing, you know, encouraging sila, uh, donna sila, rather than taking sides on political groups. And, you know, on a personal level, you, you you sympathize with one and don't win. And so, you know, emotionally you you have your preferences, but, you know, your role in the society is what? Is, is not a political one, not taking sides, but giving opportunity for both sides to listen to Dhamma, to take the sea land, things like that. And so that's what so much is missing in, like, say, in, the, in other countries. They don't have that that level, that kind of center point to refer to, you know, it's usually you take sides on political issues and human rights issues and moral issues and and uh, ideals and and then you 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 tend to argue and um, these things and that. But but you know, the Buddha established the, this middle way. In order to to allow to to encourage the the respect for Donna Sila from whoever is interested, you know, from whatever level or left or right side of the political spectrum, whether they're beggars or kings or whatever. And in Thailand, they don't. In, in Sri Lanka, isn't it? They monks are members of parliament, things like that. They have strong political views. But I've noticed in Thailand, when a monk gets into that, it gets very, you know, doesn't last very long. <laughs> political assassinations of monks in Sri Lanka, Tukat Really? Yeah. These these active ones, the political. Uh, yes. Yes. Protests and assassinations yeah. comes with the job. <laughs> and then the ones in Burma that are right. that are anti-Muslim. Yeah. 
that's, you know, that's morally not right. Telling people to kill Muslims. But that's a moral issue, not a political one. And then here in Thailand, you hear people saying, well, the religion is, you know, you, they, like now in the news, you know, they, newspapers, Thai newspapers, they, they always, you know, headlines about some monk that's corrupt and scandals and that. So it, 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 it gives this impression that, uh, you know, that religion is, is corrupted. And Lumpa Chau made it very clear. He said, no, no, Buddhism can't be corrupted. People corrupt. People get corrupted, but not Dhamma. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true, you know, when you look at the Buddhist teachings, you know, like the suttas, I mean, they're the same. They, they, they're not, they've never been corrupted for 2,556 years. You know, there's all kinds of changes that have taken place, you know, in Buddhist countries and, <clears throat> and uh, you know, empires and kingdoms and flourish. Sometimes Buddhism flourishes and sometimes persecuted and disappears, but actually the, the essential teaching has never been corrupted. But individual monks can be corrupted, but not, not, not the... Uh, the teaching. That's just the shadow of the theory of a conspiracy of, of, of a old monks against a woman who changed the Dhamma. Yeah, because there's a, you know, like, like the, the Western mentality is one of believing in progress as a reality, you know, so like the American mind tends to think that we're here to make everything advance and progress and better than what it is. And so this is, uh, you know, and then it's easy for, in, in the States to, to assume that, well, Buddhism is an old religion appropriate for ancient India or maybe for Asian countries. But when it comes to America, we've got to Americanize it and make it progressive and, and so it fits into the social values and the culture of Americans make it an American type of Buddhism <laughs> <laughs> or in Britain you know the British Buddhism is uh, you know we're not that Thai stuff but we're gonna really you know make it ours and uh, I've heard that you know and there's some movements in in Britain you know that are that are doing that, you know, new forms and British Buddhism and American Buddhism and things like that. But then, but you know, like I trained here in Thailand in tradition, and and the tradition is and a tradition is something that that comes from the 
we, you know, we, we assume that it comes from the Buddha uh, 2,500 years ago in India. And so it's, it's set up, like you set up the Dhamma, the Vinaya, and the Sangha. So, and that traditional form that's managed to survive. And when you, when you look at it, it's, a, it's really, you know, quite miraculous to, to think that, that you actually have an ancient tradition from ancient India still working well within, uh, like, Britain or America. You know, where it's never really, you know, before this, there was not much knowledge or understanding or interest in Buddhism in the Christian Western world. So, and now there is. And then the establishing these monasteries like in England and so forth, they're, they work. You know, they don't have to really do a lot to, to make them work within the, the, the social values and structure of modern life. But the mentality of the West is, is still this belief that somehow we're advanced and, and, and we've got to make these old things up to date. Up, and that's a conceit that we have. You know, I can see it myself. It's a conceit that, that we've got to make it more agreeable, more Western, more American than, than it is. But, but I think the value, like in, in England, of, of keeping to a traditional form is that it's not going to become popular, you know, mass, masses of people, but it, it, it's going to be available to people interested, you know, in, in this kind of life, living within a structural, an ancient tradition and practicing meditation. So you, you, you don't need, I don't, I don't want to change it. So you have to adapt to contingencies like weather and that, so you, you can't survive very long like this. <laughs> But you, you know, that's fair enough. But in the, generally speaking, it works very well. I never, I never really had uh, difficulties from the society there. And so that's why I trust it. Cause, you know, I put it to the test. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen when I went to live in, in England. It, you know, whether there be any interest, or I'd starve to death, or people throw rocks at me, or put me in a mental institution. I mean, I was open to anything. <laughs> but, but it's a nice country, you know, it had, you know, it had this sense of fairness, and, and it wants to do the right thing. And so you, and it's very tolerant towards religion. And if you read about English history, you know, they've got their, you know, persecuting, there's places in London that they have marked where people were uh, beheaded or killed, you know, drawn and quartered for public observation, you know, hanged, uh, public hangings. And if you were a heretic or 
a Catholic, you know, when, when it became Protestant, then they'd, they'd hang Catholics. Uh, this was only a few hundred years ago. And uh, now, can't do that. You can't hang Catholics or <laughs> Buddhists. <laughs> In fact, they're incredibly tolerant towards it all. Well, that's, that's progress, you know. <laughs> but if, if we were just about Indian culture, then you could see it, it wouldn't. But it's about truth, you know, suffering, about dukkha and its causes and how to deal with it. You know, so it, it applies to the, you know, to anyone, whether, you know, it's not about, you know, a, a cultural, uh, specific to a culture. It's about a universal reality that we share. Because suffering is, everybody can relate to that. Because, it, you know, that's what we experience. Whether, you know, it's Europe, Asia, wherever. And then in, in a country like affluent Western Europe or America, you've got, you have the high standard of living and, and good governments and um, good economies and things like this, but still people suffer. So, I mean, it, it's, you can't blame your suffering on the poverty or tyrannical government or things like this, but it's even, you know, wealthy people suffer terribly and here in Thailand you know <clears throat> I meet a lot of very wealthy people and uh, they've got all kinds of suffering problems <laughs> and yeah they've got the money to get anything they want and travel and things uh, Thailand's a nice country to live in but you can still create misery in your mind about it And that, that's where the, the reflective kind of ability where you, you know, because the suffering is common to us all, whether it's the king of Thailand or beggar or, you know, male or female or, you know, whatever race or nationality, class, there's this dukkha is, there's this dukkha. And it should be understood. You know, see, you know, so being wealthy is not the solution. You know, sometimes you have more dukkha because you you're so attached to it, and and you you know if you don't have much money and you become a a monk, you know it's easier than if you have a lot of money and you have to give it up. <laughs> <laughs> Your standard of living can actually improve, Lumpa, coming to Ardania. Well, that was what I discovered at Wapapo was, because I'm from, you know, like a middle class 
family, you know, and in America. So you, you, you have, you're born into this level of, you know, a certain, and it would be considered luxurious for, for us, you know, for, in, for monks, but you, you just take it for granted because that's what you know and what you assume is normal. And, uh, like my parents were always very careful about, you know, the food we had and three meals a day and, and a nice house and, and everything was, you know, this is what you expected to get in life. And then, then when I went to Wadbapong, you know, it was sleeping on a mat on the bare floor and, and one meal a day and, and there was no electricity, no refrigeration, nothing. Just basic, uh, very primitive conditions. But, you know, I realized how little I needed. You know, I didn't need all that electricity and, and, and the things that I, you know, felt I needed to survive. And it's a relief to know that you, how little you really need. And, but the mind, you see, is the thing that if you develop the mind, the, the, the mind, then it doesn't matter so much about the external things. Whether if you're rich or poor is not really important anymore. What do you think um, the sort of the future of the situation with, with Buddhism in the West? Like, um, I've only really seen it in Australia, where most of the lay people who are coming to the temple, they weren't really interested in you know past future lives or you know getting out of samsara. They were interested in just like meditating to get happiness, like right now and just like. And now, you know, any time a teacher sort of talked about, like, you know, and. Um, to deep into the sense or the suffering of samsara or you know even born of the truth people seem to have a bit of aversion to even hearing that it would always seem to be like just for feeling happy but I don't know how to, I always thought that was a bit of a like you know the shell of Buddhism might have gone but the essence isn't that actually opinion you know people are you know for different reasons and that's kind of you know one of peaceful mind or uh, you know calm down his life is very stressful now for most people and so you, you know you get a lot of stress problems people you know just so busy and and, and constantly caught into the rat race and the, and it's you know things move faster now than before, you know with with all the modern technology, and and what and there is really a lot more tension. And then there's the social problems of you know the economy. Everybody, you know, we're it's very materialistic. You know, like we're looked at as consumers now. They talk about it as consumers, like we're no longer citizens. We just, you know, like big mouths consuming. It's a more insulting way to talk about 
to me, I'm like insulting. See, you know, when you think of a citizen, you think of a human being in a, a more kind of honorable way of, of addressing in the human individuals and consumers. See, if I see this consumers, changes my relationship to <laughs> yeah, you know, how much you know? You've got to pay your taxes. <laughs> and so, it, and it is very, you know. That's why religion now is, is like in uh, Britain is not it's not persecuted because it's not important anymore. Your spiritual life is just not an issue. It's about you know your your rights and. Uh, Paying taxes and financing the government, making the economy work, and and for modern economies, you got to make people desire things. You got to create desire in their minds. So, so you know everything the advertisements and everything is designed to make you want never to be content with what you have, but they're always offering a a newer and better. Thing that, and they, and they, and they condition you to want the new, the best, and the newest, and the improved. And it's ongoing, isn't it? You know, just, just uh, you know, because you can, you know, that's what they stimulate the economy with is desire, keeping people greedy, and discontented with what they have. So you're. That's what modern, you know, free market capitalism does. It just makes you discontented <laughs> and envious. You know, you, you know, you kind of make people think. Well, the neighbors, they got the latest model, and it looks better than mine is last year's. It creates envy. You know, you you want to. Keep up with the Joneses, and <laughs> that's a, that's the world we—that's the society we're living in, based on stimulating desire. And and this life is about contentment with little. You know, so it's really a contrast to, especially to modern uh, modern societies, where they they don't want you to be content with last year's. Fashion. So you know they they deliberately create a new fashion which they promote as better than last year's. <laughs> and, uh, you know it has it's all these advertisements. And they, they, you know it's a psychology too. They, they 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 get psychologists to figure out how you can make people want things they don't really need. I can keep stirring up their minds, making them greedy. I mean, this is the society we're living in, you know, and it's just to recognize that that's that's the that's the social milieu that we're we're living in, and it's not based on religious belief anymore. You can believe anything you want. No. You can, Believe in disbelief, you can say, and be an atheist, and it's perfectly, it's very respectable to be an atheist in Britain, you know. And then you can, 
deny God and uh, things like this. And so you, you know, you can curse God. You can curse God. You can make fun of the Queen. <laughs> and and Prince Charles, you know, poor guy. He's they love to criticize him and make fun of him. Everything he does, you know, he, you know, he's always, you know, uh, the paparazzi are always trying to get get him in embarrassing poses or something that make fun of him. You can't do that in Thailand. It's against the law, but in England it's fair game. So I kind of, you know, I used to think some of the things they used to say about Prince Charles, he should come claim to some human rights organization. Because <laughs> 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 I mean, he's, he's a nice person, you know, he's not somebody to despise, but he is, you know, high up in the, in the, in, uh, in the royal family, but be the future king, but still, uh, you know, the society is a profane one. It's not about respect or or that kind of, you know, respecting elders, or it's not about, uh, you know, being glad or mudita as a, as a sense of being uh, glad at someone's success or position. It's about, let's you know, he thinks he's better than me. Let's 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 knock him down. You know, he's up on the pedestal. Let's let's destroy the pedestal. Watch him fall on his butt. <laughs> you know, these are it's fair game now. And so you know that that's where where this tradition. Is it, it helps us to get into some kind of relationship to structure and hierarchy. And uh, because, you know, like uh, the American mind, we're, we're brought up to think hierarchy is wrong and patriarchy is, uh, is something evil. You know, like the feminists in England uh, use the word patriarchy as if it's vile, like satanic. You know, and uh, in fact, some of our nuns were using it one time, and, and so I gave a talk. I said, "Look, you know, patriarchy—it can be good, it can be bad. <laughs> it's not in itself; it's just you know, a word. And you can have a patriarch that's good, uh, or you can have one that isn't. So it's just you know this." This kind of way we use language to create prejudices against groups or, or abuse, you know, find fault with others is rampant. You know, I always trying to find ways of criticizing the, especially the people that are, uh, are you know, in, in prominent positions. And that creates, you know, this sense of, uh, you know, the idea that we're all the same, all equal, uh, is an ideal. But actually, you know, Sankara, the level of Sankara is always about difference, not about sameness. You know, so you're all, you know, I mean, Sankaras are changing and they're not equal. Like, is big equal to small? Something like this, or 
the only thing they have in common is that they're in permanent condition. <laughs> and uh, small is impermanent, big is impermanent. And this is what, what the Buddha is emphasizing, that the, the, the condition phenomena is like this, it's changing. And, and that means that there's no permanent goodness or badness or evil or whatever. It's a, it's a, these are concepts we have to describe something in the, you know, that we, you know, maybe it can be evil in the present moment, but it's not permanent. It, it, evil changes its like good, goodness. And so this is this is where the wisdom, the panya faculty, starts informing us how to live this life. So the structure, say, monastic is based on a seniority, um, you know, who ordains first, not on personal preferences or social position or you know, you know, even a, like an arahant, uh, it still bows to the senior monk, even though the senior monk may not be one, because that's a structure. <coughs> and that, that makes it, our life workable, otherwise <coughs> it's, it's uh, you know, each one to his own. And then you can how could we live together if we just, you know, each, we made up our own rules and did what we wanted. We, we couldn't live together. And this, this is why, why I think, you know, that like the tradition, this traditional form has a point to it. Because in, in England, for example, there's so many meditation groups and, and, uh, and psychotherapy groups. And there's always this self-awareness and, and uh, exploring yourself and improving yourself and and uh, and then there's all attempts to take Buddhism and make it modern and and kind of psychotherapeutic and and and, and you know and not discuss not use the Buddhist words anymore you present you know Buddhist meditation but without the Pali words without Buddha Dhammasang or anything uh, so. So this is so you can present because it's based on a universal reality. You can, you, you know, you can present Dhamma in in any form as science, as psychology, as uh, philosophy. It fits into every category, and this also fits into the religious one, the religion, and and then this like what we have is a religious form. <clears throat> and uh, and that means that it you you we have the right to use these words use Pali use Buddhist terms establish uh, the Vinaya and that because of we we've committed ourselves to this traditional form and uh, and then it and then it offers like it's a it's a, like a like a very sharp tool, you know. If you use it rightly, it's, it's like it, you don't, you know. If you if you just changed it around, it would lose its sharpness. 
you know, become, uh, you know, in the end probably become quite useless. But if you, if you keep to the, you know, if you learn how to use it in the right way, it's a very, it cuts through the delusion right away. And, and that's what I felt in, in, in England where there's a lot of pressure on me to change things there. Uh, because people wanted, you know, didn't, didn't like the structure of seniority or the relationship of, men, of nuns to monks and, and there was always these kind of issues going on in a society where you, you know, people are very much concerned with human rights and fairness and ideals and democracy and freedom and, and respect for individuals and so forth. So you're dealing, you know, you have to deal with this high level of idealism, uh, which has you know, you know, it's not, it's to be respected, because it's, but it is ideal, it's based on ideal thinking, but it's not an understanding of how things are, you see, and that's what we lack, why, why our societies are just caught up in materialism, because we, we don't know how things are, we, we know how they should be, all of us could, you know, could, create a perfect society in our minds. <laughs> you know, everything's fair, everything's equal, everybody's free, uh, you know, there's no rich or poor, uh, you can create this, this, you know, like the communists tried to do, this ideal uh, political economic system, but, you know, it, it's an ideal, it doesn't, when you, you know, like in the Soviet Union, when they tried to to make it into communism, they used uh, tyranny to do it. So they, you know, you force, you know, you've got to believe this and you, you know, if I have very good ideas and I force them on you, you don't hear the, the brilliant ideas I'm forcing on you, you just feel my bullying, tyranny. <laughs> you know, so you, you can't, you can't even understand what I'm saying because you're just feeling this, this, uh, this, thing, this anger and, and, and uh, uh, you know, force compelling you to, uh, without respect or understanding you in any way, just forcing my views down your throat. You know, like one of these geese, you know, where they stuff food down his throat to get this pate. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know, like in, in, uh, in basic, like in Thailand, there's tum di di di, tum chua di chua, it's so basic, like every school children, school child knows that. Do good, you receive good. Do bad, you receive bad. Love karma, and and to get the proper end, you have to have the proper means. So the end doesn't justify the means in Buddhist terms. To wage war to have a peace is an impossibility. You know, war for peace, <laughs> kill kill the forces, axis of evil, and. 
kill the devil and uh, annihilate the enemy, uh, get rid of Saddam Hussein or whoever. And, uh, but how are things really now? What are, you know? What is the nature of our life? You know, and and there's suffering common to all of us, and 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 there's causes and there's and if you awaken to the suffering, then you see it, its presence and absence, and then you're developing, you mean understand the way things are, rather than be grasping high-minded ideas about how things should be. This we lack. You know, we don't. We don't have this as a part of our training, education, culture. It's all about how things should be. And how we want them to be, and rather than, and then we're always discontented with ourselves or with life because we can never live up to these ideals. You know, you just personally you can't do it because we're not ideals. We have to live with bodies like this. You know, they, they feel everything, and they. We've got blood draining through our veins, and we've got nerve endings, and you know, sensory activity, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. You know. I only want to look at what is really beautiful, you know. And, uh, and so you, you, you're a wealthy person, so you build a special, beautiful play house in a beautiful place uh, with works of art and everything is beautiful and you have marry a very beautiful woman and you have beautiful children <laughs> but inevitably it's going to change you know how can you sustain that that level of visual beauty you know your wife's going to get old and no longer beautiful <laughs> your children might be beautiful when they're young but they can be real Bastards when they're older, <laughs> and, I mean, and then you might be living in a beautiful place, and suddenly an earthquake comes or a revolution takes. I mean, because this is the way things are. And all our attempts to build utopian situations, uh, you know, end up in in disillusionment. And so, is peace really what people want, or they just want? They, they like the ideal of peace, or the ideal of democracy, or that, I mean, these are beautiful ideals, but the reality is we have to learn how to relate to the unpeacefulness of the samsara, of the conditions changing. But instead of just trying to deny it or change it, where a relationship is observing, because then we're we're behind it all. We, we're actually witnessing uh, it with wisdom rather than just trying to get rid of the sankaras. You'll never succeed in that. You know, you've got a human body, you've got a, it gets cold, gets hot, tired, gets old, <laughs> sick. You've got to feed it. You know, it's got different functions, anything but peaceful, and, you know, learning how to live with it is not through, you know, it's not 
suicide is against the Vinaya. So <laughs> the thing is, you don't get punished. <laughs> or maybe afterwards. <laughs> but but it's not the it's not about the body anymore, about the conditions and all that, but it's and knowing it for what it is. This is what possible for us as human beings to be able to do this. And that's what's so so wonderful about it is that it, you know, my personal personality is, it, you know, is, is is one that always tends to be a bit on the negative side, saying, "Oh, you can't do it," or uh, you know, seeing things in terms of of some kind of value judgment, but. And the experience of training in this tradition is that it actually works, you know, and you can. It's not asking the impossible from any of us. And it's based on something ordinary rather than on some special skill that, that someone might have that you, you don't have. Like, you know, some kind of ability to concentrate the mind and live in the Deva realm or something, but this is about suffering in this realm, because this realm, the human form, is a, is a suffering vehicle. It's all about change, old age, sickness, death, loss. You have to experience grief, you know, loss of loved ones, seeing our parents get old and die, and, and disappointment, because Life isn't going to be all that accommodating to our desires for happiness. We, you know, so this realm is is a realm of dukkha, but not in a negative way. It's not like a put down. It's a it's a it's a understanding of it, and that's where the brilliance of the Buddha was pointing to that something extremely simple, obvious. In your face, you know, but oftentimes never really admitted or understood, because we we can always run from it, look for happiness. What's your opinion, like on you know, samsara being within the mind of the individual, or? Also external, but like, you know, the Buddha attained, you know, Buddhahood, Brahmanship. Uh, it's like he's saying, in a sense, it's still here, but that sort of doesn't free from the suffering of samsara. I mean, that the mind is sort of pure and it's not actually in a state of suffering like that. Which is that pointing at some Well, this is like, you can't, you know, right now, you're experiencing the world. Uh, from where you are. So I'm actually in your mind. As this. <laughs> and I come and go, don't I? You know, so that, uh, you know, you're with your mind 
all 24 hours of the day and night. And, uh, and, and then that, you know, then we create the world. And that's like the, the, the ego, we're creating a whole universe, realm, a conditioned attitude. And, and we create this out of avicca, ignorance of Dhamma. We don't, we don't know Dhamma. So we, we live in, in the world of our own creation. We think we share the same world. You know, we assume that the world that we're living in is the same for all of us. Not really. Because right at this moment, I'm in your world. <laughs> and, and the same thing, you're in my world at this moment. And, uh, and so is Thailand. So is Ireland. <laughs> and so, and the sun and moon and stars, you know, because this is, this is what you can know. You're, you're observing what you can actually know in a direct way, not from God's position of knowing from the top, knowing everything about everything. And this is where you have to trust this knowing within the, you know, you, you might conceive yourself as a speck in the universe, uh, you know, just a nobody, and, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you drop dead right now, who, you know, a few people might, know about it, but the rest of the world universe wouldn't know and uh, wouldn't care. <laughs> so, but you do, you know, you're, the world you're living in right now is your creation and what you're used to and it's important to you. And so this is like, and then you're, you're, you're changing relationships to the world, to observing it, rather than creating it. And that's what mindfulness is. It's satisampatanya. And it is, is, is letting go of the world to observe it. And, and we all do this. We all create our own world. We all live in our own world, even though we, we assume that we're sharing the same world. And, and Ajahn Chah used to like to shock Western visitors, when they come to Wat Bapo, I'd be translating for him, and uh, he'd say something like, uh, did you come here to see the end of the world? And they, what's he talking about? And I'd translate that literally in English. See, man, you know, what do you mean by that? End of the world. I came here to learn meditation and <laughs> make the world better. <laughs> and then, then he'd say the world ends here. And point to it. It's hard, you know, the world ends here. And and well that, you know, for myself I could I could contemplate that. You know, what you know, there's a kind of you know Little understanding, the end of the world means, you know, the Armageddon or whatever. But in terms of, you know, on a big scale, but in terms of it's happening all the time in the mind, the rising, ceasing, uh, sukha, dukkha, and all the rest is going on, you know, and we, we create, you know, our, we're conditioned to think and create images and 
hold to ideals and that's the world that we live in. And and then the now in, in the monastic life, you you can create a world around monasticism and so forth. But the point is not to 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 create, but to understand. <coughs> and then then it goes back to this simple reality: of all conditions are impermanent. And and then you, so that means everything. So your every thought, every desire, refined course, true false, you know, good bad, right or wrong, course, refined, distant sun, moon, stars. But the the world that we actually live and feel in is the one we create. And then we have. The, our own views about the sun and moon and the stars <laughs> as well as you know this person that person or whatever their conditions you know that through cultural conditioning to to approve of this disapprove of that <clears throat> and then the, the mindfulness gives us perspective on both liking disliking as we experience it, you know, not as, as some theory, but as I mean, observing of it. And that which observes is 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 uh, pure conscious awareness. It's, it's universal. It's unitive. It's not not personal anymore. What what unites every all creation, all these different animals and things in this vast, complex, complicated world of nature and people and stars and so forth. His consciousness embraces all of it. You know, so it's, it's, uh, and this is what we can actually recognize through discerning it. You know, and we're not separate from it. It's just not noticed, not recognized. So that's the point of the power now, the meditation is to be able to recognize this rea- the re- ultimate reality <coughs> within the limitations of the world you create, you know, and your own personal uh, loves and hates and feelings and condi- physical, mental conditions. 